Well, hey, everyone, we want to welcome you to church today, wherever you are tuning in from. Maybe you're at one of our locations in South Mississippi. We're excited that you are here. Maybe you're tuning in from church online, on the couch, hanging out, coming back from that final vacation before the fall kicks off. Wherever you are at, we are honored that you are a part. My name is Blake. I have the honor and the privilege of being part of the team here at Venture. And let me just tell you, you guys have picked an amazing week to be here. It's an amazing season to be here. Maybe you're just coming in from the summer or you're coming to hang out at one of our campuses, but I'm, I'm, I'm guaranteeing you that this is the series to make. Over the past couple of weeks, we kicked off last week a series that we're calling The Way of Jesus. It seems like a very simple message series, right? Not any kind of fancy name. It's because we just want over the next few weeks together to dive into what does it look like to be a disciple, to follow in the way of Jesus in 2022. Now, I don't know about you, but I ask myself this question a lot. I say, what does it look like to follow Jesus in 2022? I mean, it's great to read the Bible, right? We love the Bible. It's the inspired word of God. And it's got a lot of great stories from the first century AD. But Andrew didn't have to deal with TikTok. Philip didn't have to worry about tuition, right? Some of the things that we're facing today may not be what they were facing in the first century. So how do we take an ancient text the Bible, the inspired word of God. How do we take it, read it, apply it, listen to what it says, and make applications for our lives in 2022, soon to be 2023? That blows my mind. And here's how we come around this as a church, and I love this. It's called the seven marks of discipleship. We dove in, we looked at the life of Jesus, we saw what he was all about, we saw what he taught his disciples and therefore taught to us, and we saw seven things, seven marks, seven ways, seven lanes that we could begin to follow after Jesus with everything that we have. And we made it really easy for you to identify which of those you can begin to partake in, which of those you can begin to follow. It's called the Seven Marks Assessment. If you download the Venture Church app, this is a shameless plug. Go ahead, download that app. There's a Seven Marks Assessment there. And for all of my people who hate taking tests, can I see you? It's only five questions. Thank you, Lord, that it's not like 10 or 12 or 15. It's five questions. Five questions that I believe can change your life forever. Because when you take them, you can begin to see areas of growth, ways that you can begin to grow in Christ. And so last week, Kyle, he, he preached an amazing message on daily essentials and life rhythms, two of the marks that we see in the seven marks of discipleship. Today, we're going to double click on a couple more. We're going to click on being generous and serving others. Now, when I said the words being generous, about 70% of the room, your eyes just glossed over because you're thinking, okay, here comes the money talk. And you're exactly right. Today, we're going to talk about our finances, but we're also going to talk about the, our time, and we're also going to talk about our talents. But I, but I can connect with you in this because for so often, for so much of my life, I saw the being generous piece as that final piece of the puzzle to following Jesus. I'm so glad, Kyle, last week he mentioned that sometimes we can view discipleship as steps or rungs on a ladder that we just keep trying to climb up. Does anybody ever feel this way when it comes to following Jesus? That sometimes you feel like you're trying to take step after step to earn our way to God, to say, God, I am good enough to be in your presence. Yes, I have your son Jesus in my heart, but from the moment that I stepped into a relationship with you, I've been working to try to earn it, especially when it comes to generosity especially when it comes of giving my time, my talent, and my treasure for the furtherance of your kingdom. There seems to be, in my life at least, growing up, some transactionalism. 
and I've felt like I've tried to just climb up the ladder. In fact, it reminds me of a story from several years ago when I first started attending Venture. I was doing worship at the time. And in fact, it was right after I had moved in to Southern Miss my freshman year. It was just a few months after that. So you know that feeling where everything's still new, fresh. You're still trying to like figure your way out. You're still trying to find who you are. Your, your one set of friends that you had during Golden Eagle Welcome Week weren't the same set of friends that you had like four months later. It was in the middle of all of that that I started doing worship here at the church. And I was volunteering for an event that we had way back in the day called Club effects. Now, Club Effects is kind of similar to what we do today. Uh, it's called Campfire that happens at some of our campuses. But Club Effects was like this massive event that happened with all of our kids on Sunday nights. They would be all down here, like jacked up on Mountain Dew, like throwing up rock hands, and we'd be doing worship songs. And so I was over here as one of the guitarists, and I don't know why, but I had on these bright red pants. Don't ask me. This was like the 2000s. We don't ask questions about the 2000s. And so I was wearing these bright red pants and I was playing guitar and I had just gotten this like wireless guitar pack. And it was amazing because I could go anywhere I wanted to on the stage. I could go over here and high five my buddy. I could come over here. But for some crazy reason, I thought it would be really, really cool to jump onto the drum riser during the biggest part of the song. Like I was over here and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go jump on that and then I'm going to jump off of it during the breakdown because I can and I have all these things. The one thing I didn't take into consideration in my like two second calculations was that I have a four inch vertical. <laughs> I can't jump. But, you know, nevertheless, this is freshman Blake saying, I'm going to go for it. And so I did. I tried to run. I get a running head start. And the top of my foot caught the lip of that drum riser. And I fall right behind it. My head hits the seat that the drummer was sitting on. And it's just, poof. you see on the little video, like the drummer's drumming. He kind of moves over to the side like this. And all of a sudden, I pop back up. And I'm like, okay, this is okay. What I didn't realize at the time is that I had split those red pants wide open. <laughs> this is Club FX, y'all. It was wild. So what does the freshman Blake do at the time where he's, he jumps up and he very quietly comes over to the side and stands towards the end. And when the song ends, I just hightail it out of there. That was the last time I tried to jump on the drum riser. You have nothing to worry about today because that's not going to happen. But that, how often does it feel like when we're trying to strive after these discipleship steps? Do we have such great ambition? God, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to give everything that I have for you because I want to earn it. And we try to make the jump and our foot hits the lip of that next step that we think is in our discipleship journey and we fall face first. How often have you felt that? I know that I have growing up. But I believe that Jesus wants to give us a different picture of generosity. He wants to give us a different picture of service. And it doesn't come with trying to earn it. It doesn't come with trying to strive. In fact, it's something different. There's two things that took place in my life recently that really changed the way I saw generosity. One was a verse. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. I want us to read it, and it'll be our foundation today as we dive into reframing generosity and serving others. These two incredibly important marks of discipleship. 2 Corinthians 8, 7, it says this, but since you excel in everything, you excel in faith and in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see also that you excel in this grace of giving. See also that you excel in this grace of giving. Why do you think he says the grace of giving? If you're, if you're Paul in this moment, wouldn't you think 
as so many of us have when it comes to generosity and being generous with what we have and our time and our talents and our resources, wouldn't you think that Paul would say, hey, you've excelled in all of this other stuff. You've excelled in your speech. You've excelled in your faith, in your earnestness and in the love that we've kindled for you. See now that you also excel in giving. How many of us have believed that that's the way that that verse should have gone as we've grown up? That Paul would want us to just excel in our giving, but that's not what he says. He says, no, see that you excel in the grace of giving. That was incredibly perplexing to me. I didn't know what that meant. I was diving into it. I was like, okay, Lord, I want to know more about what this means. Obviously, you're not just saying here to excel in giving, but you're saying to excel in the grace of giving. What does that look like? Well, that's where the second piece of this puzzle comes into uh, the picture, where we start to see how that operates in our lives. And it took a picture from my Facebook memories of all places for God to show me what he meant by the grace of giving. I wanna show it to you as well. I think you'll enjoy it. This is my little girl, Henley Grace, when she was two years old a couple of years ago when we gave her her first snow cone ever. And you can tell that she is her daddy's daughter because she is loving that thing. The sugar kicked in quick and it was a magical experience for her, as you can well see. I was looking at this picture through my Facebook memories and I was starting, I was still contemplating this whole phrase, the grace of giving. And God finally showed me, he, he, he told me what, what this was all about. He said, Blake, when you look at that picture, so many times you feel like you have to be the snow cone. Like you have to be the one that is providing the goodness and the grace and the mercy to other people that they can enjoy. But that is not your role. Your role is not to be the snow cone. I am. Your job is to be the straw to the snow cone. Your job is to simply be the conduit through which my grace and my mercy flows through you into the lives of other people, where the kingdom of God comes through you. It's not about what you have. It's not, you're not the, the incredibly flavored whatever kind of snow cone that was that day. No, 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 no. That's me. I am the goodness. But you're just the straw, man. And that sent me on a journey to start unpacking what this looks like in our lives. And my prayer for you today is that if you are striving, whether you have a lot or you have a little, whether you have time on your hands or you have no time on your hands, whether you are in your fourth year of school trying to get out or you're a single mom or you have nothing to your name or you have everything to your name, the product is the same, that we are the conduits through which God's grace and his mercy flows out onto this world. His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And he uses us for that. But don't just take my word for it. This is the way of Jesus after all. So I want us to go to a story found in the New Testament in Mark chapter six. So if you'll join me on a journey, we're gonna go to a Judean countryside in a moment where there's incredible things taking place in Jesus's ministry, but he's gonna teach us how to reframe generosity, not just as something to strive for, not just as something to earn God's favor, but he's gonna reframe it for us. In Mark 6, 31 through 34, it says this. Then because so many people were coming and they were going that they didn't have a place or a chance to eat, he said to them, hey, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And they went away by themselves to a, in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving, they recognized them. They recognized the disciples and they ran on foot from all the towns and they got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Man, I love Jesus. They were like sheep without a shepherd. 
And so he began teaching them many things. And by this time, it was late in the day. And so his disciples, they came to him. He said, this is a remote place. It's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered and said, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He said, go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. And then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up into heaven. He gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and they were all satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of men, the number of men who had eaten that day was 5,000. Estimates say that for the women and children to be counted as well, about 15 to 20,000 people ate that day. This was not the product of the disciples' ability to create something of their own. This miracle happened because they allowed themselves to be used by God. And my prayer for us today is that this text would help us to reframe generosity and see the same thing in our own lives. Would you pray with me really quickly? Father, we pray that this word would speak to us in a way that maybe we've never been spoken to before. For those of us who have strived, who have tried to, to operate out of a place of manufacturing goodness in our own lives so that they could be poured out on others, Father, I pray that you would empty us of that that we would be just like the disciples, that we would go on a journey of understanding that serving others and being generous is not just about what we can do, but what you can do through us. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. I want us to unpack this because I think the story of the disciples is really funny. Anytime the disciples are with Jesus, it always ends, it always ends in a really funny moment. I, I love that about these interactions, especially in the gospel. The, so the first thing that we see in this story is that generosity and service isn't just about a practice. It's about a posture. It's about a posture. Notice how the, the disciples start off in this journey and in this story. In verse 35, this is what they say. It's by this time it was late in the day. So everybody had come up to the hillside. There's 20,000 people on the hillside. Nobody knows what to do. All they know is that they are hungry. It is supper time and the bell ain't ringing. So they don't know what to do. The disciples then come up to Jesus and they say, hey, this is a remote place, they said. And it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Can you just see the disciples right here? They're looking around. Philip and Peter are looking over at Andrew and Andrew's looking at John and they're like, man, like there's a lot of people over there. Jesus, man, he's just preaching. He's just doing his thing. We're gonna step up and stand in the gap in this moment and like, let's get a plan together. Okay, we got a plan. Okay, so let's go up to Jesus and say, all right, Jesus, let's take a time out on the teaching. Really good. I love what you're saying. You know, the whole thing It's really good. But these people need some food. Like they can't hear you over the sound of their bellies. So we've got a plan. It's a really good one. Let's send everybody out and let's have them go eat. Like, you know, there's a KFC over here and a Burger King, right? And some, some manna or whatever and all this stuff. Like send them out and let them go have some dinner and then they come back over and then we'll continue, right? And let them have a place. We'll start tomorrow, conference style. And Jesus breaks them down. I love this moment because he gives them a crisis of faith. He looks at them and he says, dead in the eyes. He says, you give them something to eat. What? That's a jaw dropping moment. 
That's a moment where you could have heard a pin drop on that countryside where Jesus looks at his disciples square in the face and he says, you give them something to eat. I can imagine at this point, everybody's plans, they just, it just fell. And they were like, I, I, what? What did he, did he say to us to give them something to eat? And so then they go to the next place and they say this. They say, wait a minute. That would take more than half a year's wages. I don't know if you remember this, Jesus, but like we left fishing to follow you. Like the place where we were earning money, it's not there anymore. And it would take half a year's wages for us to be able to buy bread for all of these people. Is that what you were expecting us to do? They come to a crisis of faith. This is the beginning where they were in the practice. They were about to practice generosity. They were trying to figure out a way to make it happen. He's like, okay, God, like if if we're supposed to give them something to eat, then it's game on. Like we're going to do this. All right, how much money do you have? Okay, does your mother-in-law still have that inheritance? Okay, we'll figure that out too. All right, let's try to bring all this together. And maybe if we get half a year's wages, we can buy some bread and some fish. They were trying to work it. They were trying to go ahead and practice this piece of generosity without understanding a very key principle, that we have nothing. Jesus has everything. And it's in him and through him that miracles take place. Look at what happens after that. When he says, this is a half a year's wages. Are we supposed to go and spend that much and give it something to eat? And then Jesus goes on in verse 38. He says, how many loaves do you have? What do you have? I love this question by Jesus. Because he knew when he, asked, when he told them, you give them something to eat, the disciples weren't going to have an answer. And so he asked them this next question. He says, what do you have? And so they go and they try to scrounge up some stuff. If you look in other books of the Gospels, you find that there was a little boy who was carrying a lunch sack that day. He had five loaves of bread and he had two fish. And so the disciples bring him to Jesus and say, hey, we got five loaves and two fish. This is all we got, Jesus. And Jesus does what he does best because the disciples move from a place of trying to manufacture the miracle to saying, this is what we got. Here's the key piece of understanding the posture that we have, the posture of generosity and the posture of service. It's not about having something to give. It's about giving what we have. This should be encouraging to each and every one of us, no matter what tax bracket we're in, no matter what season of life that we're in, no matter what is currently happening in our situation, Jesus is not looking at you and saying, you have to have everything. You have to have all the time. You have to have all the talent. You have to have all the treasure. He's not looking at you and asking that question. He's looking at you and he's saying, what do you have? Jesus, I got five loaves and I got two fish and there are 20,000 people who need to eat, but I'm gonna give it to you anyway. See, here's the beautiful thing. We talked about this in the Impact Team rally a couple of weeks ago. So many times we will be like this cup where we will look at what we have and we'll say, God, this is what I got. This is what I got, Jesus, and I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give everything I got. I'm gonna pour it out onto other people. I'm gonna serve, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna tithe, and I'm gonna give out of my own strength, and that's, that's, that's all I got. And we end up empty. We end up bitter we end up hollow, and we end up burnt out with great intentions, but our posture was wrong. Do you see this? We are so focused on trying to empty ourselves up just like the disciples. All we, well, we got a half year's wages. We can try to figure this out ourselves. We'll try to manufacture something. When Jesus is telling us, he said, no, 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 no. Let's fix your posture first. And then let's allow the presence of God, the Holy Spirit to come in and to pour into your life 
and to continue to pour as you fill yourself up with God's goodness, his grace, and his mercy. You begin to overflow. And it's through that overflow that the goodness and the mercy and the grace and the love of God begins to pour out onto other people. And you notice that other people are filled and we stay filled. It's a posture issue when we recognize the goodness of God in our lives and we say, Jesus, I'm going to love it. It says in Psalm 23, did you notice the themes of Psalm 23 flowing through this text? It says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup, what? It overflows. I love that Jesus says that he's supposed to, to seat them down in the green grass, that Jesus looked at them and had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. This is Psalm 23 in action that we recognize that it's through an overflow. This is the posture. And it's once we recognize the posture, then we can move into the practice. So many times we get it switched. We try to practice generosity first, and then we move into a place of trying to earn it and posture ourselves. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. What do you have? We got five loaves and we got two fish. Notice what happens next when they begin to move into the practice. Let's look at verse 39 through 41. It says, then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And he also divided the two fish amongst them all. Do you see what Jesus did here? He corrected the disciples' posture first, and then he invited them into the practice of serving others in generosity. Jesus didn't just do the miracle by himself. He didn't take the five fish, the five loaves and the two fish and do it himself. No, he got the disciples. He said, okay, now that you understand who is going to be the, the origin of this miracle, I'm going to invite you into the process. I'm going to invite you into this. So disciples, you go and you have them sit down in groups of 50s and 100. Then you go and you help distribute the blessing. You go and you help distribute the miracle to other people. This is the practice of generosity. There's two things I want you to see in this moment. When we go back and we look in John or look in Matthew or Luke, we see that the little boy willingly gives his lunch. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to give what he had. It was an ask. Jesus invited him to participate but the little boy opened up his hand. What he had, he opened it up and he said, this is what I'm gonna give. I'm gonna practice generosity here. The thing I love about that story is you would think that with 12 basketfuls of food left over, that that little boy got to eat that day too. Not only did he get to eat, but he probably ate more than if he'd kept his lunch. That's the beauty of generosity. When God works through us, he sustains us in a way that we couldn't sustain ourselves. And whenever we begin to be generous and practice generosity and practice service, it's not just so that God gets something, but it does something to us. It does something in us where we are holding our hands tight, that we begin to open it up. And every act of generosity, every act of service opens that hand a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And we begin to wage war against our pride. We wage war against our selfishness. These are the tools that we use. These are the practices that we use to see God do incredible things in our lives. We practice because we're postured correctly. And then the second thing that takes place is we get to be a part of the miracle. Can you imagine what it was like passing out that bread? What once I was holding was five loaves and two fish. All of a sudden now I can't keep my hands around all of the food and I'm trying to pass it out as fast as I can. And every time that I pass and run out, I go to Jesus and I get more and there's more to pass out. And then I go to Jesus and I get more. And the next thing I know, there's food everywhere. And I, he hands me a basket and he says, go collect the leftovers. It changes you. 
I've seen this time and time again where people connect in with being generous from a correct posture. And they say, okay, I I don't feel like I have the time to give my house, to open my house for a house church. I don't feel like I have the ability to host. I don't feel like I have the finances to be able to sustain it, but I know that God's calling me to it. And if he's calling me to it, he's gonna equip me for it. And so I'm going to open up my house. And I've had conversations with so many people where they've looked at me and said, the greatest thing that I've ever done is allow Jesus to work in and through my home as a house church. Because where once it was just a place where I was going into for a fortress of solitude now has become a place where lives are changed. And I'm seeing salvation occur in my house. I'm seeing baptisms take place in my backyard. I'm seeing so many things happen that I never would have seen happen before. Why is it because of me? Is it because of what I have? No, but everything that I have goes for the glory of God. I practice generosity so that I can fight against the selfishness of my own life and say, this is for me. No, 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 Jesus, this is for you. I'm gonna start my tithing journey because this is for you. I'm gonna start serving because this is for you. Because each and every time that I create an act of generosity or an act of service, I wage war against my selfishness. And I engage with the miracle of Jesus and I choose him each and every time. And that leads to the final piece of this journey where we see Generosity, not just as a posture or as a practice, but where we truly desire to go, and that's generosity as a privilege. You see, Peter was part of that journey that day. On that mountainside where they were feeding 20,000 people, Peter was looking along, and he noticed something take place in his own heart. If you go to the Gospel of John, right after this story, the feeding of the 5,000 in the Gospel of John, Jesus asks his disciples, he says, who do people, who do the crowds say I am? the crowd that they had just gotten away from. Who do the crowd say I am? And everybody's like, well, some people saying Elijah, some people saying like you're a prophet or you're a miracle worker, all these things. And then he says, no, no, no. Who do you say that I am? And Jesus, uh, Peter steps up to Jesus. He says, hey man, you're the Messiah. You're the King. After what I've seen, after what I've been a part of, after what you've let me join in on, on nah man, you're the King. You're everything I've ever wanted and I'm with you. Decades later, there's a moment where he writes a letter, Peter does, to people who are dispersed through Asia Minor. We call this letter First Peter. And in part of that, he reframes generosity in his own mind, where he is now teaching the next generation of Christians how to be generous and how to serve. This is what he says. I find it really awesome and compelling. He says this. He says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received, whatever it is, big or small, little or much, Whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Did you catch that? Peter is saying, hey, we're going to serve. We're going to be generous but it's not through our own strength. It's through the strength that God provides. And it's through the overflow of our lives as Christ fills us up, as we are with him, as we lean in and say, we wake up each and every morning and say, God, what do you have for me today? What am I doing today? Where are we going today? What are you gonna use in me today? I'm not anything but the straw to the snow cone. And I'm opening myself up to you for you to do more with than I could ever hope for or imagine, because Jesus is our passion and generosity is our privilege. Jesus is our passion. 
Generosity is our privilege. It is a gift. Going back to that verse in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, the gift of giving, the grace of giving. The word there in Greek is charis. It means God's unmerited favor. It means it's his gift. The ability to give and the heart with which we do so is a gift that God gives to us to be able to leverage, to build his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Would you bow your heads with me at all of our locations at Church Online? You know, I've heard it said often that you can't outgive God. That's certainly true. We can't. There's no way we could ever outgive Him. But you know, I think sometimes we have this thought that when we say we can't outgive God, is that God, I'm going to give to you now because I know that I'm going to get a return on my investment in my life at a later time, and you're going to outgive me then. But just like everything, God likes to reframe our understanding of who he is. And maybe it's not so much about what he's going to give to us that he outgives us with, but it's recognizing that the reason we can't outgive God is because of what he has already given to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, in Jesus, wouldn't perish, but would have life forever. We cannot give God because of what he has already given to us. His son, who died on a cross 2,000 years ago, who raised in victory and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Today, if you're looking for a next step in your journey, your next step is this, to find your strength, your hope, your eternity, your life in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He is the greatest gift And it's through relationship with him that our life changes forever and we become conduits for the kingdom of God in this world. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We're so thankful for who you are. God, we do lean into this understanding that it's not about who we are, what we have to give, but we give freely of everything that we have because of what you have already given to us through your son, Jesus. It is a gift and it is a privilege to serve you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us for the Venture Church Podcast. To find a campus near you, check out venturechurch.org.